For the rest of you, good morning. I'm Ken Moberg, and uh, my wife Tina and I live in Wausau, and uh, we are here uh, for you to decide if you want us to be interim pastor here as Pastor Jerry retires. So um, I spoke two weeks ago, back at it today, and then you'll have opportunity this afternoon to ask some questions. And uh, tough ones, I'll just defer to my bride, and uh, then you can vote. So, all right. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to look into your word. I pray, speak to us through it. I pray that we would see its relevance for our lives, that it would equip us for what you have called us to, so that you might be glorified in us, in Jesus' name. Amen. If somebody asked you to explain your faith to them, what would you say? Where would you start? I, I heard a story about a, a, a boy, a schoolboy, who, who missed his bus to school and came running back into the house to let his mom know. And uh, she was a little bit stumped because they were new in the community. They'd only been there a few weeks. And the boy's father had been the one who registered him at school, so she didn't know where the school was. The little guy said, don't worry, I can get us there. And so they piled into the car, and uh, he said, just, just go straight here. Now turn right and, and stop. Start up again, and then go straight Okay, now turn left and, and stop by that mailbox. Okay, now good. Now turn right and, and stop at the corner there. And on they went, zigzagging their way through the neighborhood, finally to arrive at the school. And the mom realized that if they had just gone on the main road, they could have been there in half the time. And so she said, why did you take me that, that winding route to get here? And he said, it's the only way I know. Get it? <laughs> and so when I think about how we can share our faith with somebody, that story comes to mind. I think about a time when a Billy Graham crusade came to uh, the army post that I was stationed at, and Tina and I volunteered to be counselors there. We went to counselor training and there we learned five principles that we needed to get across to an inquirer and five scripture passages that supported those five principles. Uh, the first one was, uh, man is sinful. And the passage we memorized for that was Romans 3, verse 23, that says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay. The second principle, sin has a penalty, and for that, we had to memorize Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, his Son. Okay, so man is sinful, Romans 3, 23. Sin has a penalty, Romans 6, 23. Third principle was Christ paid the penalty, and that's Romans 5, 8 we had to memorize. And uh, Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, so man is sinful, Romans 3.23, sin has a penalty, Romans 6.23, Christ paid the penalty, Romans 5.8. Then the next principle was 
uh, salvation not by works. And that was Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. Uh, that says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Okay, so man is sinful, Romans 3.23, sin has a penalty, Romans 6.23, Christ paid the penalty, Romans 5.8, salvation not by works, Ephesians 2.8 and 9. And then the final one was uh, we must receive him. And that was John chapter 1, verse 12. This says, uh, But to as many as received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So we worked on those things. We, we worried so much whether we could keep it all straight or not. Uh, would, would we get things out of sequence? Would, be, would we be able to remember the verse when we needed it? And uh, it was, it was a, a, a tough time worrying about being able to keep it all straight. And I wondered, is there any place in Scripture where the gospel just kind of lays out in front of us so that I could sit down with a friend over a cup of coffee and just open my Bible and show him the gospel without turning a page? Well, I have been looking for the last 40 years for places like that in Scripture. I have found a few, and I'd like to share a few with you this morning. But before we do that, uh, what are the essentials of the gospel that need to be communicated? When someone says, tell me about this faith of yours, what is it that, that you really need to say? Well, the Billy Graham Association taught us five principles. I think you could really kind of boil it down to three. And the first has to do with sin. Sin and its effects. Um, sin uh, is, is something that is a part of all of us. I think we need to get across the idea that we are all sinful. Uh, we choose our way over God's way. And that shows up in a lot of different ways. And I think that over a cup of coffee with a friend, you can talk about that. And uh, it'll be pretty self-evident. What, what that person might not realize is that those things are an offense to God. God is our creator and our sustainer. And what we do when we choose our way over his way is essentially treason against the king of the universe. God is holy. He has a holy allergy to sin can't stand to be in sin's presence, and we are covered with it. So the first thing I think we need to get across is this idea of sin and its effects. The second thing I think that we need to get across has to do with Christ and what he has done for us. Um, God knew that we couldn't deal with our sin problem even if we wanted to, and beyond that, he knows that we didn't want to. He didn't want to. So he decided to do something about it himself. He sent his son, the Lord Jesus, who lived a sinless life and then died on a cross to take our sin upon himself. The sinless one absorbed the sin of those who have rebelled against God. He took our place. It's something that we commonly called the substitutionary atonement. He substituted himself for us 
to make atonement, to, to make things right between us and God. So sin and its effects, Christ and what he's done for us. And the third thing has to do with us. What's going to be our response to what God has done for us in Christ? We need to respond to God's offer of salvation by receiving it as a gift. If you receive a, a Christmas gift and leave it under the tree, it does you no good. Uh, you need to receive it yourself. You need to open it. You need to appropriate it for yourself. Same with the salvation God offers as a gift. So those are the essential truths. Now, are there some passages that present them in a cohesive whole so that we can just sit down over a cup of coffee with a friend and talk about it? Um, I'm happy to say there are, and I'd like to take you through a few of them quickly, hoping that one of them will resonate with you and maybe you'll want to put it into practice and try it out. Um, so I, I grabbed one of these Bibles coming in. If, uh, if you need one, feel free to get up and grab one. Um, or maybe someone, if you stick up your hand, uh, can grab one for you. But the place I'd like to start is in Romans chapter 3. Um, it's really where we started with the Billy Graham verses. Um, the paragraph that contains that verse, Romans 3.23, is where I would go. And it starts at verse 21. Let me just walk you through it. Imagine we're sitting in a restaurant over a cup of coffee, and uh, we've got this open in front of us, and we're just going through it. So Paul writes, oh, and it's on page 784 in this Bible, if you, if you have one of them. Paul writes this, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. There's where he starts. And you notice he starts with the word but, and, and that's referring to what has gone on in the book of Romans up until this point. He talks about how we have consistently fallen short of attaining a right relationship with God. And this is uh, even Jews who have made a business of trying to have a right relationship with God. And, and Paul says there's no one who's righteous. Nobody can do it on their own. But now he talks about a righteousness that comes from God, apart from the law. And then verse 22, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So it's given, it's a gift. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So no difference between those who are trying and those who aren't, because all of us will fail. All of us fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Here's a great opportunity to talk about grace. Grace is, is getting something you didn't deserve, you didn't earn. What we deserve, what we earned is, is God's righteous judgment. But instead, he offers a gift of salvation by his grace. Someone defined grace as treating people better than they deserve. And God has certainly done that for us in Christ. So, verse 25. Let me, let me say one more thing about verse 24. Does, this, does verse 24 mean everybody gets saved? We all fall short, verse 23, and all are justified 
freely by his grace. Well, does that mean everybody's saved? Is this universalism? It is. And if you just drop down to verse 26, you'll see that it says God justifies those who have faith in Jesus. It's offered freely to all, and God will make right with himself everybody who puts their trust in Jesus. Verse 25 tells us how he does that. It says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. In other words, Jesus made it right with us. Between us and God, Jesus did that by taking our penalty, by shedding his blood for us. And it says this is to be received by faith, trusting in him. It says he did it to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, and that forbearance just means patience. He was patient with us. He, he was forbearing of our sin. He left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. In other words, he didn't dole out judgment on mankind from the beginning. He stored that up and, and executed that judgment on his innocent son on our behalf. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So he is just. He doesn't wink at sin. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't say it doesn't matter. It does matter. It needs to be dealt with, and he dealt with it in Christ. It's a wonderful paragraph and, and a, a rich time for a discussion over a cup of coffee. Those three elements, sin and its effects, Christ and what he's done for us, and us and our response, did you see them in that paragraph? They're there. They're there. And you can share that with a friend. Uh, another one is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 17, and that is on page 806 in, in this Bible here. 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, starting at verse 17. One page off. Here we go. So Paul writes this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. That's a fairly uh, popular verse. You may have heard that. Your friend may have heard that before. But it talks about a new creation that that. Christ uh, does in us, that he makes us new, gives us a fresh start. However badly we've blown it, um, he offers us a fresh start, makes us new in him. Next verse. All this is from God. It's not generated by us. It comes from him who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Good topic of discussion. What, what is reconciliation? When you've got two people who have been at odds with one another, two warring factions, it's, it's bringing them back together. And so you can talk about the effects of sin, how sin separates us from God, and God wants us to be reconciled to himself, and he's offered that in Christ. Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And so 
God reconciling the world to himself, bringing us to himself through Christ. He is the one who can do that. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. What's an ambassador? What's an ambassador do? Uh, An ambassador represents a nation to another nation or a cause to uh, a group of people. God has uh, reconciled us as believers to himself, and he's given us a message and a ministry of reconciliation, bringing others to Christ as well. And he says, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The opportunity is there. We can step out in faith and trust him and be made right with him. And then verse 21 tells us how that happens. It says, God made him who had no sin, Christ, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took our place. Do you see those three elements that we talked about before? Sin and its effects, Christ and what he's done, us and our response. Be reconciled to God. It's a wonderful passage. Let me uh, mention another one. Titus chapter 3, little book of Titus, after First and Second Timothy. Titus chapter 3, starting at verse 3. You know, we talked about sin and its effects, this one really describes it well, I think. It says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Boy, does that describe life apart from Christ. It's a dog-eat-dog world. But, verse 4, but... When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. He did it. We can't do it ourselves. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. God is merciful, so he gave Christ to take our place, to take the punishment we deserve. He saved us, it says, through the washing of rebirth, that new start, that new beginning that we can have in Christ. Rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He works uh, from inside of us when we put our trust in Christ, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, there's grace again, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. We Inherit the riches of Christ and eternal life. It's a wonderful passage. It contains those three essential elements. Let me give you a single verse. First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 18. First Peter 3, 18. It says. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. The gospel in a single verse, Christ suffered or died for sins once for all. The righteous, this innocent one, for the unrighteous, the sinners, in order to bring you to God. There is a way to God, and it is 
through Christ. I'll give you one more. Back in Romans chapter 6, this is one uh, the Navigators Parachurch Organization has developed. If you go to the Navigators website, you'll see this one. And uh, they call it one-verse evangelism. I've literally taken and drawn this on uh, restaurant napkins. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful verse. Um, and what I, what I do is I just ask a friend uh, that, I'm, that I'm with, I just turn my Bible around and said, would you read that verse? And while he's reading it, I'm writing it on the napkin. And then we just kind of go word by word through it. I circle words and then do a little diagram. And so Romans chapter 6, verse 33, it says, um, get on the right page here, Romans 6, 33, I'm um, 23 rather, Romans 6, 23, um, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We just go through. Word by word. Wages. What are wages? Wages are, are what you work for. If you put in a full week of work and you didn't get your wages, you'd be upset, right? It, it corresponds to the work that you've done. So you get paid according to your work. What's the work that we have done according to this passage? Uh, the work we have done is sin. And the wages of sin is death. What is sin? You can talk about with your friend over coffee. And the friend would probably tell you, well, it's doing wrong things. And you can expand on that a bit. And you can say it's, it's doing wrong things. It's also thinking wrong things. It's having wrong attitudes. It, it just pervades us. And it's something that is a part of us. And the consequence for that is death. And then I circle that word. And, uh, and then I, I draw a little diagram like that, I make this, this gulf between man on one side and God on the other. And I explain that this is an infinite chasm. Uh, someone may try to jump over the Grand Canyon, uh, and, and someone may get further than somebody else, but you're all going to splat at the bottom, right? Because no one can jump over that kind of a chasm. This is a chasm like that. So the wages of sin is death, and then there's that wonderful word again, but, but the other side of it is the gift of God is eternal life, and a gift uh, corresponds to that idea of wages. It's, it's not something we earn, it's something somebody else has paid for, a gift, and it's God who has paid for it. The gift of God is eternal life. Instead of death, we get life. How do we do that? How do we get across that chasm? We do it through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so I then draw the cross in um, over that chasm. That is the bridge to life. And I can ask that person, okay, so which side of that chasm did you start life on. Well, some people think we're born innocent. Uh, anybody who's raised little ones knows that's not true. Uh, you don't have to teach a two-year-old how to sin. It just comes naturally. It's a part of who we are. And, uh, and yet, uh, we can get past that through Christ. So 
I ask, which side were you born on? Which side are you on right now? Which side of that chasm? Which side would you like to be on? And uh, that's an invitation I would give to anybody here this morning. Three principles, sin and its effects, Christ and what he's done for us, and our need to respond to that message. And maybe this is all a review for you. Maybe this is something you haven't seen quite in this way before, and maybe God is prompting your heart to respond to that this morning. And if that's the case, I would just invite you to ask Jesus to apply what he did on the cross to your account and just say in your heart to him, Lord Jesus, you died for me. You took my sin on yourself and you offer salvation to me as a gift. And I want to receive it. And so would you, would you forgive me based on what you did for me on the cross? And would you come and live in me? And I put my trust fully in you right now. Maybe you prayed that prayer just now. If you did, I would encourage you to tell somebody about it today. Uh, feel free to come up and, and talk to me or Pastor Jerry. There will be a prayer team up here after the service as well that would love to talk with you also. But I would encourage you, uh, if you prayed that prayer, to share that with somebody today. So you have uh, five possible passages where you could just sit down over a cup of coffee with a friend and walk them through the gospel. I wish I had found those verses 40 years ago. Would have saved me a lot of anxiety. The gospel spreads through networks of relationships. Surveys have shown that more than 75% of people who come to faith in Christ do so because of the invitation of a friend or a relative, family member. And so you think about how, if you're a Christian, you came to Christ. I know I came at the invitation of a friend. More than three-quarters of people who come to faith in Christ do. And that's the way the gospel spread through New Testament times as well. There is a Greek word, and, and that word is oikos. It means household, and it describes that network of relationships. Family, extended family, household staff in the New Testament times, business associates, friends. In short, it's a person's sphere of influence. That's your household, your oikos. Let me just share a few places where that word occurs. In Mark chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus releases a demon-possessed man from the control of that demon. The man wants to become a follower of Jesus, and Jesus says, no, go and tell your oikos, your household, your family, what God has done for you. Go and tell your sphere of influence what God has done for you. The gospel's spreading through networks of relationships. Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, that wee little man who climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus, um, when he puts his trust in Jesus, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this, not this man, but this oikos, this household. The gospel would spread through that. When Jesus heals an official's son in John chapter 4, it says, he and all his 
oikos, his household, believed. In Mark chapter 2, Matthew Levi, the tax collector, uh, comes to Christ. And what do we see him do? We see him inviting fellow tax collectors to his home to hear about Jesus. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, the Roman centurion, uh, comes to Christ and all of his household with him. In Acts 16, Lydia uh, in Philippi responds to the message that Paul brings, and her oikos gets baptized. In that same chapter, the Philippian jailer puts his trust in Christ, and he and his oikos are baptized. More than 75% of people who come to faith in Christ do that because of the invitation of an Oikos member, an extended family member. And we all have a sphere of influence. We all have an Oikos, people we know and care about who don't yet know the Savior. I would encourage you to jot down the names of three people that you know and care about who don't yet know the Savior. Jot down those names and then pray for them and see if God opens opportunities for you to share with them the reason for the hope that you have. You've got a few places in Scripture where you can sit down with them over a cup of coffee and do that. In 1 Peter 3.15, Peter uh, tells us, always be prepared to give the reason for the hope that you have when somebody asks. Uh, hopefully, what you've seen here today are some ways in which you can be prepared to give the reason for the hope that you have. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the simplicity of the gospel. Thank you for what you did for us in Jesus, that you didn't wait for us to want you. You stepped out first and gave grace and sent Jesus to bear the penalty for our sin. Father, I, I just pray for anyone here today who needs to respond to that message. Give us uh, the uh, courage to do so. And Father, I pray that you would help us all to be prepared to give the reason for the hope that we have in Jesus. In his name, amen. We come now to the time in the service when we're going to take communion. Uh, the Lord's table has been prepared for us. Let me just say a couple of things about that. First of all, um, the table isn't just for members of the bridge. If you belong to Christ, if you have put your faith in him, even if you just did that this morning, this is for you. It's a graphic reminder of the cost of our salvation. The bread speaks of his body that was broken, given for us. The cup speaks of his blood that was shed for us to pardon us from our sin. The Apostle Paul encourages us to examine our hearts before we come to the table of the Lord. Let me just read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then he says, so then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. We take this in an unworthy manner when we have unconfessed sin in our lives. And so uh, Paul urges us to examine our hearts. Come to agreement with God about sin. Confess it to him. If there are relationships you need to address, commit to doing those things um, as you come to the table. And so let's just take a moment for quiet introspection. Ask God to search your heart. And and after a a few moments, I'll just uh, bring us together in prayer. So let's just have some time for quiet prayer. Father, you know us better than we know ourselves. We don't want to try to fool you. We know we couldn't. So, Father, I pray that you would cause us to have a sensitivity to the sin that is in our lives, to bring it to you in confession, to agree with you about it and about what we need to do with it. We bring it to you. Thank you that Jesus paid it all, that he paid fully for all of our sin. And we can come to his table and take these elements that so graphically remind us of the cost of our salvation and do that with confidence that it is not condemnation that awaits us, but that you receive us as your own dear children because we have put our trust in you. So, Father, meet us in this place in a special way, and I pray that... uh, As we take these elements, we would be reminded of what Jesus did for us with great gladness in our hearts, in Jesus' name. Amen. We would invite you to come as you are ready and take these these cups. There's a cellophane layer on top. The bread is beneath that, and then another layer below that to uh, get to the juice. So come as you are ready.